Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Cine Pars Podcast, your source of in-depth discussions about the world of golf for the amateur golfer. We're your hosts, Randy Duran and Ryan Munoz. On this episode, we recap the PGA Championship with the Bay's biggest golf coach, Dylan Smith. Stay tuned after the break. Welcome back to the Sandy Pars Podcast, episode 85. We're your hosts, Randy Duran and Ryan Munoz. Yes, sir. Today, we're going to be recapping the PGA Championship at Oak Hill Country Club. And we have a special guest today. We have the Bay Area's premier golf coach, golf teacher, instructor, that's, Dylan Smith from right. Dylan Smith Golf. Appreciate it, guys. I'm, I'm stoked to be on this podcast. I know you well, very, very well, and uh, both very well, and stoked to... Uh, talk golf and uh, talk a little bit about coaching and then take it from there. I love what you guys do. So I'm excited to be a part of today's show. Yeah. Uh, I mean, both of us have worked with you. Um, I started working with you a few years ago and uh, sometimes I'll go back and look at my swings before then. It's just so different. Not saying yeah. I'm the best golfer ever, but um, definitely seen some improvements and have a better understanding of the golf swing over the years, which has been a really, a really big thing for myself. And I know a lot of your students really appreciate that. That's um, awesome, Randy. It's so, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that, you know, you've, you've seen some change and, and you're getting better. You know, it's all about continuous change and there is no perfect, really. No one's ever been perfect at golf. And so you just try to get better. So I love it so far. We're just going to get better and better. Exactly. Um, just wanted to touch base and kind of, you know, uh, just let our listeners kind of understand you a little bit more. Um, just mm-hmm. so how did you get into golf, basically? So I got into golf, I would say, originally through my grandfather. He started playing when he retired, kind of more or less from around mm-hmm. the age of 60 or so. Um, he bought me my first ever set of clubs and then my dad was always heavily involved in me playing sports and growing up and everything, but my mom and him were divorced. And so my mom had actually dated a couple of guys throughout my childhood that were uh, involved with golf and also were pretty good players. And so when I was a young kid, I actually was involved with a guy who I think if I remember correctly, shot 28 on the front nine at Presidio one time when we were playing and was just like one of the one of the OG, just like legends of San Francisco golf kind of in the 70s and 80s. Um, and so I got to learn a lot of golf early on. We would go kind of pop the fence at the old par three course at Olympic where the old ocean holes were, where they're redesigning some of them. And I would hit stand wedges and, and learn how to play golf over there and uh, – just kind of grown up in the city my whole life playing a bunch of sports but I always was gravitated towards golf and uh, then played it all throughout school and, and it just has really blossomed into my career from there but more or less you know just growing up I played it since the age of three I have a picture of myself with my grandfather playing when I'm about three years old together so that's when I can really <laughs> remember my first memory that's really cool I bet, it, yep. I bet it was pretty beneficial to have someone that you're playing with too later on that was, you know, really good. So you got to see what like a good player was like. Oh, totally. I mean, that was a huge benefit. I mean, I remember, I remember doing things and like being in moments where I would be kind of like up the fairway from him. His name's Johnny. And I wouldn't really be like ever worried. I can't ever remember one single time where I'd be worried about him missing a shot and like hitting me or something. If I was yeah. like by a green like every single shot was just like a two yard draw. I can remember every single swing, like being the same swing. And he used to be a caddy out at Olympic. Um, then he moved up to Bandon actually. But uh, my, nice. some of my, some of my first ever rounds were going out to Olympic on the late course on Mondays. And he would give me a throw a hole and I would just be chucking the ball down the, fairway <laughs> on the late course of um, shooting like a hundred, but that's how I kind of started to play. And then, just gravitated towards the game from there for sure. Wow. Growing up in the late course. That's incredible. That's, that's tough. Um, so yeah, from there, yeah. so, so from there, um, you ended up playing some, some college golf and some pro golf after that. Yeah. I mean, you know, first of all, I, I, I grew up one of the, the best memories of golf in my entire life was growing up and playing junior golf in Northern California. I, I think one of the coolest things for me personally with the PGA was, Kurt Kitayama, Bryson DeChambeau, um, and then a couple other guys also coming up on tour now that are from NorCal and just remembering the times when I competed against them at Spyglass, hanging out with them, them beating me, um, beating them, and 
just going back and forth. And I remember that time a lot. Then I uh, proceeded to go to USF, play college golf there. And that was a whole new experience for me. I learned a ton there about working out, how important that was. Just, you know, the overall competitiveness of golf. And then I also learned, you know, how to, you know, really believe in, you know, what your natural swing is there. I had a couple of people there that tried to change my swing a lot. And I had just come from shooting, I think, 69, 68 back-to-back years at Spyglass or something like that shooting under par, playing really, really good confidence in my swing. And, you know, as a young kid, you kind of trust other people. And I saw it happen to multiple, multiple people, not just particularly there, but at a young age where you kind of listen to other people. And, you know, looking back, I wish I had just almost turned pro out of high school and just trusted my own game and just been a really big competitor and so the whole process of playing college golf really, really taught me a lot. And then I ended up playing professionally for about three and a half, four years, traveling all around Western United States, competing. I won three times professionally, um, had some other good finishes. But then from there, I just really realized that my love in life is coaching. I just love helping people be better than they ever realized they could ever be. And it's just such a fun journey to take people on and I, I i think it's so cool i see people who are billionaires i think i see people who are broke i see people that are young i see people old men women children and every one of those people goes through hurdles of having experiences when they're getting better of getting frustrated and having total moments of elation and so it's really my job to kind of help them through that and then it, it's it's a really fun process for me as a coach so i really really enjoy it What do you kind of tell your students when they're going through a tough time? I mean, we've had our conversations, but is there something that you kind of like lean on for? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so like what I always, always lean on is that I make sure that students really understand the four functions of golf and that they're really, really clear on what those are. Turning, tilting, bending, and swaying. If you understand what those functions are, you can really, really understand how to keep your head still. You know, I think something like people moving their head a lot, they get frustrated and you can't just tell someone, oh, keep your head still. You have to explain to them how the spine bends from bending forward at setup to being neutral at the top to bending backwards through to the finish position. And that's what keeps the head still. And so I really, really try to pride myself as a golf coach is that any moment of frustration to let people know that it takes time to change and that there's going to be ups and downs and that no human being has ever been perfect at golf. And that's not what golf is about. But if you stick to the fundamentals and we really look at your, your exaggeration and what you're understanding, you will get better and you will get better over time. If you stick to those and understand what those functions are and the fundamentals of swinging on plane. Yeah, I can definitely attest to, attest to that, you know, some of the lessons that you've given yeah. me and some of the conversations that we've had. Um, yeah. What's like the most common swing er- uh, error that you kind of come across with guys who are, let's say that they're, they're not beginners, but they're, yep. they're, they're folks that go out there and, you know, they can shoot, you know, 90 around 90. Yeah, and that's, so you know, that's a I lot can, of golfers. I can, yeah. I mean, I, what I tell a lot of students that come into me, I'm like, the first thing I'm going to do is not make you the average golfer in America. The average golfer in America shoots 97 and goes over the top. And so what I really, really help people with to understand is that, that really, really has a a root cause at setup. I will help people a ton and go, the reason that you're going over the top, the reason that you have an open club face, I can almost get 50% of everything done that I need to based on how your ball position, how your club face, how your grip, how your hips and how your shoulders are all aligned together to match up to swing on a slight in out path. And so like the first step that I'll always do with people is I'll get them to understand kind of how Brooks Kepka sets up to the ball a little bit. He sets up with his lead form kind of peeking out a little bit. And what that does is that really, really allows him to just swing on a really neutral or slight end out path and just nukes it straight. And so, so many people, like even players that shoot around 90, that's like the first thing that I do. But I had a gentleman that came in the other day, plays at Sonoma, two handicap, and he's going over the top. And so it's like at any level – you can refine a habit and get better, but does that really make you be the best version of golfer you can be? And so I'm always on a continual path as a coach with you or any student that I have 
to get your swing to be the tightest, like one to two yard draw possibly I can based on the start of your golf swing, the back swing and the through swing and combining all of those things together. Yeah, I definitely saw that with Brooks this week. Uh, I mean, he must have hit the straightest ball out of anybody out there. There's no, there's no frills. Yeah. There's no left to right really, unless no. he really has to. And he just kind of goes right out. I mean, I was, I was, uh, as I was watching him, I kept thinking, I was like, he's, he's like one of the most boring golfers to kind of watch. And we'll, and we'll really exactly. get into his, and we'll get into his game later on when we yeah. recap the PGA. But um, why don't you tell our listeners uh, what what coaching services you offer? Yeah, so right now, primarily what I do is I coach in-person private golf lessons in the North Bay. I have my own uh, private coaching facility, and really, I am kind of a new brand of golf coach. I run my entire coaching business through Instagram. I'm grateful that a lot of my students will allow me to repost a lot of my coaching. Daily, I post six or seven tip videos inside the lesson videos, so I'm always sharing what I'm doing. And if anybody ever wants to get a lesson, they can contact me through that way. I also offer virtual lessons as well. I have clients from Chicago to New York to LA, Monterey, all over really that want to get better. I am getting busier to the point where in-person lessons are getting tough to fit in the virtual lessons, but I, mm -hmm. I have both of, as an offer right now. And then I also have a subscription service that you can subscribe to me on Instagram where I give private, uh, more in-depth teaching videos on that. And you can subscribe to me for that for $19.99 a month. Right on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. I was going to, I was going to ask you something else, but it slips my mind. You got something, Mooney? Yeah, dude. I got a, I got a handful of questions. Yeah, I wanted to fire away, Mooney. Um, I'm, I'm excited right, so, for Mooney's question. Like, as, a, as a coach, I can relate to so much of, of, yeah. of what you said. So I, I took some kind of jotted down some things and I want to go through them. So biggest is like what it, and Randy and I kind of know through this and you, you touched on it, but what do you have like a system? And obviously there, no one you're dealing with humans. So everyone's different. And like, yeah. I love what you said earlier, learning to, you know, trust your swing, swing, your swing. Mm -hmm. So a, do you have, you know, your, your kind of like foundational system and go a little more in depth on just, again, you, you started like with, with the setup portion, but like how you address changing, you know, when you have a person and then uh, B, you know, where is like, you know, finding that balance of letting someone kind of, you're changing their swing, but not really changing their swing, you know, like I, in working with athletes, there's it's very similar there's certain mechanics that certain body types have that i don't necessarily want to like train out of someone you know um mm -hmm. and so sure. uh it, there's finding that right little like happy zone of letting them you know letting them do letting them be themselves and how they move and but also making sure they're still fundamentally sound right like it for does sure, me sure. the example would be like you know i i always think when people squat there's you know everyone's built differently you're all going to squat somewhat different but there's certain checkpoints that i have exactly exactly that, that that need to be in play before and then it's all like you know then you can do your thing so uh exactly exactly it. well well i love the questions first of all it's awesome to talk to another coach i I've admired what you've done through the the fitness part of your journey of helping you with your golf swing. And it's, it's cool to watch what you do and, and relate it to some of the stuff that I'm trying to do with my own body. So kudos to you as a coach too, man. I really, really like what you do. Um, just wanted to say that, but you know, getting into, Thank you, sir. My, yeah, of course, buddy, you know, getting into what I, I would not really call my style of coaching, but what I always go back on from, my days at golf tech, I've coached there for about five years as well. I should have mentioned that earlier. That really gave me some inside look into some data of what's going on in the world of golf. Like I said before, the average golfer in America shoots 97 and goes over the top. And when you go over the top, there's some characteristics that I see that happen amongst the wide range of students. And so the first one, this is a big tip for anybody watching is that your hips are closed and your shoulders are open, the ball position's too far forward and your grip is too weak. If you can literally reverse those things, you're going to be able to hit about a two to four yard draw and be set up in a much better position. And that's how Brooks kind of plays golf. If you look at his setup, his lead arm is kind of poking out. 
his upper body is a little bit close to his lower body. His ball position is a little bit more in the middle. He has a little bit more of a stronger, mm-hmm. lower grip. And all of that stuff gets him to just really squash the golf ball. And then the next step that I would really, really say that I find is a big, big misconception in the game of golf is that when people get to the top of their golf swing, they think because of literally some things that I've been trained about and hearing from other golf announcers say on the golf channel, you'll hear people say like things like this. Look at how this player unwinds their hips from the top of the golf swing. Remember how I talked about the four functions of the golf swing? When I hear that word unwind as a golf coach, I have no idea what that means. That is a completely oblivious gray term that gets the average golfer to think that from the top of the golf swing, you just turn your hips. And that's why the average golfer in America shoots 97 and goes over the top. When I, when I, when I hear unwind at the top of your swing, I think you're losing all your power like right away. Exactly. And, and the, movement not, side, exactly. the movement side of me thinks that instantly. So I completely agree with you. Um, exactly. exactly. And so like what I do a lot, I would say everybody definitely has their own golf swing. Like I was really, really inspired by Block. I know him a little bit through another friend. We can talk about that later. Um and just how he coaches, he's a little bit older than me, so he's he's farther along in his career, and he's really just about swing your swing. I would say I believe in that because every human being is different, but what I do believe in is looking at the data of what the most af- like average golfer swings like. And if I always say this to students, I'm like, dude, I have 100 people that come into me, about 90-plus people swing this way to get started. And it's open shoulders, it's set up, balls too far forward, club face open in the back swing, opening the hips, going over the top in the downswing. And so I'll get people from the start to learn how to stay closed. I'll get people to really turn their hips to get to the top of the back swing. I'll get people how to learn how to bump their hips slightly toward the target while their head stays aligned with the ball and really learn how to bend the spine to get a nice classic finish. And that's how you really get your swing matched up. Yeah, dude. So that's what, I would, closing, that's what I would really say is is what I really, really pride myself on as a coach right there. Uh, the the closing of the shoulders, you yep. pointed that out to me our very first lesson and is something I still struggle with. But when I'm like, I'm so much more aware of it. And it's a huge, huge yep. difference when my front shoulder is closed to the ball. Um, the next thing and like what you what were what, what, like I felt helped me the most in in. Mm-hmm and taking lessons with you, but all, and, and I want to talk about, cause is what is like you, you explain, you explain the footwork of a golf swing mm-hmm. so much more to me. And it's so important again, on, on my side of coaching, like your foot, where yeah. you, how to create speed, how to create power, your foot position is so important and what you do with your feet. Um, and so huge touch, wh- what do you see with like most and kind of like you said, we, we have a ton, you have tons of people like me, your everyday kind of, you know, fix, right? Just like mm-hmm. people I see, most people have a weak core, tight hamstrings and yep. tight hips, right? And so yep. it, it's not like you treat everyone like a cookie cutter, but there is very common mistakes it, that we all make. Very, yeah, 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 it's very, it's but, very simple. It's that the head leans forward, the spine moves forward and the trail foot spins. And that's like such a common thing. And what I use a lot is Rory McIlroy face on. And also John Rahm with an iron swing and Tony Finau. When you look at them from face on, the way that their head stays aligned with the ball, their spine bends, their trail foot banks before it comes off the heel is something that is more high level that you really don't get and won't understand until you get taught by it, until you really understand the functions of turning, tilting, bending, swaying, until you understand what you're doing and the misconceptions of, oh, I'm turning my hips to start. Oh, that gets the head to go forward. Oh, the spine is leaning forward. Oh, Rory McIlroy leans backwards 36 degrees post-impact. So if you think you lean forward, then you're really, really screwed up. And so first of all, you have to understand. It, it That changed the way that I train a lot of golfers, right? I work so much mm-hmm. more now on pushing off your in the inside edge of your foot and developing power yeah. off the inside on the edge back of foot. your foot. When you're on your back foot, but I want to be symmetrical in training, so I want to do it both ways. But but yeah. yes, uh, it, so much of 
applying applying force into the ground, right? Not to go super nerdy, but just it's simple physics, pushing into the ground, but getting off the inside edge. It, it changed how I, like I said, changed how I train all of my golf clients. Uh, and I think I've, I've since then I've had tons of people, you know, saying they've added a lot of distance and I'm just like, dude, this it's, it's kind of just oh, yeah. re- rewiring your brain to get a little more comfortable in that position. And they can feel themselves pushing off the ground a lot more. I mean, there's, there's no, I mean, there's a secret to it, but once you understand that Rory McIlroy is three inches shorter than me and flies it 25 yards past me and I hit it about 300, there's something going on different there. I was also yeah. really, really, I was also really, really blessed to grow up with my buddy Alika Bell in Hawaii. Dude is five foot six, a good 20 yards past me in, in college and just has the prettiest power from the ground up move i've ever seen strong hawaiian kid brick of a dude and just like amazing how if you generate power from the ground up you have a good setup a good grip and you understand how to turn and tilt and bend and sway your body you can really get your swing matched up to that little draw and so that's what i i try to help people with and you know one of the things you kind of asked before i think is you know helping people through the process of it is you know, I, I really, and I'll use a, a good word here. So our buddy, Randy, and you guys, and you as well, the host of Sandy Park, is <laughs> mad at Coach Dylan here, that you need to have your own mess up moments. And I think that's really, really important. You know, we'll work for about 45 minutes to a little bit over an hour most days together. And I really need you to work on one or two things at most and kind of improve step by step and then go out and play, practice hit some good shots, hit some bad shots, and really, really think about what you did when you didn't perform correctly, and then we'll get better next lesson. But I can't take control of everything. And so I like it when students go play. I don't tell students to, like, stop playing ever. You know, some students are like, well, I'm working on this. Well, I'm like, if you commit to it and you really, really understand what you're doing, you will get better every single time you touch a golf club. Dude, that is, uh, I mean, you always hear when people talk about athletes being coachable, right? Is that person coachable? And that's where your great ones are willing to accept coaching. And it's, it's, it's tough to make changes. It's tough to suck at things and then get better, but it's hella fun at the same time. Right. And that's obviously any coach will tell you that, you know, that's the best part of coaching, right. Is helping your peeps through, through the downs, seeing them on the other side, actually you know realize yeah, what man. you what you taught them uh yeah I have, a, I have a story that i think you know could really really hit to the to the followers and listeners um you know and i, I don't think he'll mind me tell, telling this story um one of my students right now is the only golfer in the history of golf to have the low qualifying score in the u.s senior amateur the u.s amateur and the U.S. mid-amateur in the Damn. first, like, before match play. His name's Jeff Wilson. He won the U.S. Senior Amateur Championship. He's played in, like, 30-plus USGA titles. Dude is an absolute legend. He was the low amateur at Pebble in 2010 at the U.S. Open. Absolute legend. He Damn. has basically come to me after sustaining a little bit of a, a rotator cuff injury. And he's accomplished all of these things. And I'm like, what is he doing coming to me for a lesson? And he goes, Dylan, I saw what you teach. We're going to remake my entire golf swing. I'm like, wow, that's amazing that someone who's accomplished so much in the game already has this undenying will at, at the age of over 50 to just keep getting his golf swing better and better and better. And he's taken the risk and he's gotten his golf swing in much better shape and he's starting to play better. So it's, it's really cool to see someone of that level. And if someone at that level can take that, you know, anybody can get better. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. I got another question for you. Your time yeah. at golf tech, golf tech was awesome. It's super, yeah, it's very techie, hence the name, but right. Golf has become so data driven and mm-hmm. I think it's, it's awesome. Again, on my, on this like strength, condi- strength and conditioning side, so much, right? Uh, again, mm. How much force, you, as Bryson said, how much, it's all neural and how much force you can put into the <laughs> ground, right? But yep. Yep. how did working at Golf Tech change your like coaching style? Because like yep. the, the data that we have, how we coach speed, how we coach agility has all been changed because of the how crazy the tech is now. Yeah. 
And I know that's it had to have been awesome, like to to do that and great. Yeah, experience. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd love to talk about it. It was awesome, and you know, like I had a really great boss boss there. He's a PGA instructor in, in uh, Florida now, named Brian Padua, and um, I'll shoot this podcast to him. He loves to listen to you guys as well, so I'm stoked to, to talk to him about this. But um, the cool thing about golf tech that really really changed my golf coaching was that before when I was a coach. You know, I, I had a couple of players that one woman who was a player at Cal, she was a professional player, a couple of their high school players, a couple of their players that I grew up playing with that trusted me. And I would just kind of coach them about how I had been coached before or just kind of coaching off some of the feels that I had in my golf swing. But the thing that I, that I really, really learned at Golf Tech is that, you know, when you are put in a classroom with two top 100 golf instructors, and they test you on 50 to 60 different data points that are tour proven averages about how the body turns, tilts, bends, and sways. It really, really refines your perspective on the golf swing to get your coaching to a point where you can take any golf swing on planet earth and teach them with facts, proven data about how to swing correctly. And so the funny thing about my coaching is that I have a, you know, a couple thousand dollar, whatever monitor that I got from flight scope and I'll use it from time to time, but I barely ever use it. And because the real, real emphasis of me is getting people to understand, well, what's pH shoulder bend? Well, what's, what's P7 shoulder tilt? Well, what's P7 hip sway? Well, what's P4 shoulder tilt? You know, beginning to understand those concepts, beginning to understand those words, you know, I kind of knew before I went to golf tech and I taught some of those things, but then you're like, okay, does shoulder tilt increase, decrease, or stay the same throughout the backswing from P1 to P4? And you have to answer that and you have to be tested on it and then apply it in lessons with those high level coaches. It really, really refined my coaching. And so when I talk about my time at golf tech, it wasn't even really like launch monitor data that really changed my perspective. No, it's all it the was, shoulder and hip data it, that you guys yeah, got ex- for like exactly, a geek like yeah. me. That's where I was like, Oh, this yeah. is fresh. How the body fun. moves. Uh, yeah. 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 And like the thing about my coaching that I think people really, really like is that I will use that stuff to reaffirm some of the positions that I see in golf, but I really just have a system of a couple of drills, a couple of feelings to get you to accomplish those things. And then I will stay some numbers from time to time, but it's really just getting you to learn how to hit a two to four yard baby draw with every single club. And that gets you to a point where you can shoot 85 or lower. And then from there, you can kind of refine it. Like I think a really interesting thing that people don't know is that when Tiger won the masters in 97, he said a five yard cut for him was a five yard draw. Basically, he couldn't save a fade. To, he couldn't hit a fade to save his life. So every part of his golf swing was tailored to just crush a two-yard draw. And so it wasn't really about now. Now it's he's kind of prevented from using his body so effectively that he can't do that. And so I think golf tech really, really helped me in a in a nutshell to just refine my coaching through data. And then now I use that to support my coaching. But I really just have people listen to my voice, trust what I'm saying, understand the misconceptions of what they think is right and how to swing slightly into out to hit a baby draw that's more powerful, more compression, more consistency and more control. I was going to I was going to say, because learning the body positions needs to be needs to be first. You have the the flight scope that you had. And that's I feel like that's like later in the game for like ultimate refinement, I would say. Oh, yeah. Because oh, if yeah. you're not hit, if you're hitting the ball with a terrible swing, the data doesn't matter what's on that thing, really. No, you know, yeah, how are you going exactly, to how are you going to exactly. replicate that and be consistent? Yeah. And get yeah, it tells you it, it tells you just where the ball is going to go, but not on a consistent basis. Exactly, and I think you know that's what I've been really, really good at. Even at my time at Golf Tech, like I was doing video, I was like their first ever coach that did videos talking about stuff, putting, promoting this, talking about these misconceptions, talking about what these things are and now i put it into my own format of coaching and then combined it with some of the old school stuff that i learned from you know some of the stuff that i grew up with and just remembering johnny play 
remembering um, Patrick Nagel was a big influence of mine growing up. He was um, the only player, I think, still to this day to win the NCGA stroke play match play in the California State Amateur all in one summer. Um, he's kind Jeez. of a legend in NCGA Damn. golf. He played in the U.S. Open that Phil lost at winged foot. And uh, all throughout <laughs> that time, I was practicing with him before that whole week at Lake Merced every single day to get ready for that tournament. So he was a big influence on my coaching as well. Awesome. You got anything else, Mini? I got the par five right. coming up for Dylan here. Okay, I got one that I wanted to add, <laughs> par five. Uh, it's, it's As a coach, would you – would, I'm curious your answer. Would you rather have just a blank, blank chalkboard, fresh newbie, or you know, old crafted veteran that you want to try to coach up? Wow, that's an interesting question. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to have any of my old crafties <laughs> kind of be upset with me. But it is always nice to coach someone. <laughs> that's who's fine. New that's the answer. Because, yeah, that's the because, answer. All coaches you know, to are going to say. You know, yeah, because it's kind of nice that they don't have any bad habits. You know, exactly. Like, and I'm honest with my students, and I Bro, think that's whatever. what a lot of you know what you a lot of students love about me i'm like dude like you you need to change like you talk, need to get talk better. to a, a ukulele coach they're gonna say the same thing any coach yeah. what doesn't matter yeah. what they coach they yeah. they all prefer the newbie versus trying yeah. to re-ingrain some terrible habits <laughs> yeah and, and like tell people and like i i say this you know no matter what player you are if you're coming into lessons with me you need to realize that in reality if i was standing in my studio with rory mcelroy or I was standing in my studio with an NCGA champion who I've taught recently or anyone else who already has habits ingrained, it's really going to take just the first three lessons to get you to change. Yeah. Like just the first three lessons are just going to be massive, massive habit change. Just like ripping the bandaid off, doing the opposite, understanding what you were doing to really, really change for you never do the same thing ever, ever again. <laughs> So that's where you really, really find the secret sauce of getting people to change, I feel like. But you For know, sure. I'll take either I'll take either one. <laughs> no, of course, of course. The veterans have, have their, their ups too. But uh nah, I I knew what the answer to that was gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh par five here, Dylan. This is a, a our first segment par five. These are a lot light, lighter questions here and rapid fire, kind of just five questions off the top of our heads here. Um, only five words to answer. No, yeah, only five word, five <laughs> syllables per <laughs> word. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no it's uh, no, it's uh, it's all good. So, um, five quick questions here. What's your like your best golf moment or accomplishment, and or it, it could be a pro moment you've witnessed or one that you've done yourself. Best pro moment specifically? No, no. What any type of golf moment? Best. I mean, it could be anything. Oh yeah, that's that's easy. I I went out to Cypress Point one day and shot sixty five with eight birdies. That was fun. <laughs> that's fuck easy. That's a good easy. easy. <laughs> yeah, I went out with this guy. He's a billionaire in NorCal. I was coaching his son and his high school team. It was so great. We played thirty six holes back to back days in the. Uh, I think the morning round of our Sunday together, I shot sixty five with eight birdies. Oof, Only bogey, nice. bogey, bogey the first hole, and then from there was birdie, 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 pretty much. I'm just taking <laughs> it. So that was a that was a dream day. I remember, and the cool thing was, I had on my bag. I'm blanking on. Oh, I had on my bag Nick Moore, who just won the NCGA Four Ball Championship with my friend and student Matt Cohn, and he was on the bag for that day. And I just remember it was like I made. I think I made four birdies in a row twice in one round that day. And I just remember on the last hole, I hit two iron, six iron to like three inches. And I was just like, what am I doing? Like, I can't not hit it at the flag. So that was one of my good memories for sure. Hell yeah. Um, What's your favorite course or your favorite player? Or you can answer both. And it could be past or present player. Favorite course. And this is an interesting answer. It's a past golf course. It is the original. Well, I can't really say the original, but the Lake Merced from the mid eighties up until about the mid 2010s before they started doing the renovations. And I know people mm. aren't going to like me for saying that, <laughs> but I just had some of the best memories of my life growing up with um, my friend, Emily, Nick, Kate Kita, 
um, just going out as a foursome and Carly and, and just all those great people, uh, Nick Sacco, who played at St. Mary's, all these great golfers as juniors. We would go out as a threesome or a foursome and shoot like a best ball, like 56 or 57. And it was just like all great players, all good people. And I just, I, I missed that course. So that's my favorite course ever is the, uh, the classic Lake Merced golf course in Daly City. Uh, what about your favorite player, past or present? Ernie Els, the big easy. Oh, <laughs> nice. The big easy. People I would have never guessed. Oh, yeah. People used to say I looked like him. I swung like him. I just have vivid, vivid memories of watching him in 2000 against Tiger in Maui. And I just thought it was so cool how you're just seeing this dude from halfway like around the world from where Tiger was. And he's just balls to the walls, just competing against him, not scared at all different tempo kind of a bigger guy and just like great footwork afraid. guy great yeah. footwork great guy. Yeah, footwork guy <laughs> <laughs> that's how you know he's a high caliber player right there my man <laughs> but yeah i would um, say ernie for sure what's your favorite uh tip that you give your students and then what's a bogus one what's one that you hear a lot that Give us the most bogus one first. Yeah, yeah, most yeah. Give bo- us the yeah. most bogus wanna... one. <laughs> Unwind the hips from the top of the golf swing. Yeah, 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 yeah. The average golfer shoots 97 and goes over the top. Do not do that. You need mm-hmm. to learn how to stay closed in transition like Rory. Push from the ground and create a bend in your spine. And that's how you create power from the ground up. Unwinding your hips is just a big misconception mm-hmm. that does not happen. Unwinding in any sport, doing any sort of athletic endeavor is just mm-hmm. like a recipe to look like an asshole. Uh, yeah, and I mean, and I mean, it's <laughs> like, like it's like there will be a slight little turn of the hips, but it's like I can do a golf swing where I stay closed through impact and I just snipe like a five yard draw, and people are like, "What just happened?" And I'm like, "It's because I'm matching up my setup, ball position, grip, everything to just get everything matched up to hit that shot." All those years I spent doing that Dak Prescott hip opener drill before I'm going out and golfing. No, no, that's what's pulling your hands over the top in transition, (laughs) Ryan. (laughs) All right, uh, wind or rain? If you're gonna go play, rain, hundred percent. Yeah, fuck yeah, give me rain all day. Rain all day, man. Rain all day. The 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 dirty combo is what I call the banding trifecta of cold, rain, and wind. Oh, I know all about that's, that. That's that's when it gets tough. But um, yeah, I would take you know because wind, you know, it makes it almost unpredictable in a way. You right. know what I mean? Where they can get a like, especially growing up playing at the Presidio. I've hit my eight iron two hundred and ten yards. I've hit it one hundred and fifteen yards in the same round. <laughs> right so it's just like it's really hard to judge when you're going 30 miles into the wind 30 miles down when you're playing off a lies and it's gusting yeah. it's blowing back and forth it's just a hard day versus it's always it's, misty and light raining out at presidio anyway oh, so yeah, it's yeah. Like, <laughs> oh yeah so it's always a combo anyways that's why it's hard to play golf there but uh yeah i would prefer the 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 rain over the wind any day moment all right last one here who do you got winning the u.s open this year Cameron Young. I knew you were gonna. I knew you were gonna say Cameron Young. I even wrote it down. I even wrote it yep. down that you was gonna be Cameron Young. I just right. fresh he, off he, his fresh off his yep miscut miscut and but but uh, go ahead and sorry I didn't mean to cut you off. Yep. Explain why. Oh please. no no just especially after the miscut I think that's gonna fire him up even motivate more. him. I think yeah I think he's gonna be really really scary with the driver. Um, I think he's going to be a little pissed off and really, really focused instead of, you know, nervous going into the tournament. I think he's ready to play well. I think he has a scary good tempo, and that's something that I look for of really good tournament players under pressure. And one of the things that I think, you know, talking with you, Ryan, is how strong is that guy? Like pound yeah, for dude, pound. He's, 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 he's a, he's. I was all I I was all over him on here last week for the PGA. So uh, he, he's he's very strong. A he I mean he he rips through the ball. Uh, I mean he's he's a bigger guy, so he's yeah. got the advantage of just physics on his side. But uh, you know, and, and you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't wouldn't mind seeing Brooks go hard at winning again. I think it's a really 
cool thing to see in the game of golf when someone goes off on a year and just kind of, you know, dominates a little bit more than any other player. So what if he does, what if he does that? He goes PGA U S open again. Let's this is his whole career. Just winning nothing, but no masters, no British open, but he just wins (laughs) like eight PGA U S open combos, four and four. Hundred okay, percent. The, the OG American <laughs> tournaments. That's the only one. <laughs> Love it. Uh, well, I mean, that's a good segue into actually, you know, talking about the PGA here. Um, I, I, I mean, a- epic weekend here. It was a great performance by Brooks. I mean, we kind of mm. saw it a little bit at Augusta. It looked like he had it, everything working, and then he was a little bit rusty when it came to the mental game on Sunday out there at Augusta. Um, yeah. Couldn't quite. Um, he couldn't quite keep up with Rom, but that's just a testament to how well Rom has been playing lately as well. Uh, Oak Hill, iconic golf course. We talked about it last week. You know, it's it's hosted six majors now seven, and even Ryan and I were saying this is a bomb and gouge golf course, uh, and it's not no disrespect to, um, to the course itself. But you look at it, you know, driving accuracy, we put as a premium, but you look at the guys who are up there at the leaderboard at the end, and it is like, okay, you see, you see Mr. Bomb and Gouge is up there. Brooks, Brooks Bryson. And, Bryson's and up there. You made, got he, made a, he made an appearance on a major Dude, team. he did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got Scotty Scheffler up there. I was stoked to see him play good. I was stoked to see Bryson play good. Yeah, I was too. It was great. That's it was. It's uh, it's nice to see him abandon the whole distance thing and like go back to a regular physique and just yeah. like do his thing. So, so has yeah. he? So has he abandoned the distance thing? Well, dude. Well, so, I, well, yeah, I think what what Bryson does really, really well, like because I've known him since he's been a like a teenager, is that he's never afraid to try anything, and just him with that mindset, like. I was standing with him in Mesquite for, you know, four or five days on a driving range, watching him hit with my with my student, Ryan, who's a world long drive champion and right next to him, seeing him train. And like he is it was really cool to see him do that when I was there. Like he's just not afraid to try. And I think he's just now getting going to get back more into competing and. Because he tried so hard, he'll always have his ball speed over dude, 190. Yeah, yeah, dude. I was just gonna say he's he's. If you watch how he's playing, he's still his ball speed is still way up oh, there. Yeah. The whole reason he he just took it to like a crazy next level. But the whole reason to chase the speed it, that that's as he said so eloquently. That's all neural, right? Like everyone's seen a strong, like a wiry strong motherfucker, right? They could just yeah. pick up, you know, dead some skinny ass dude that can pick up. A, a ton. his brain knows how to swing that fast and and put that 190 ball speed on regularly it, he kind of like added all that weight and and all that mass to get to to basically teach his brain to allow that and now he can yeah. dial back and look like a regular human like he's not all bulking up and stuff but i just i remember lessons when i was a kid where like my coach would just be yelling at me, swing faster, swing faster. And we would, I would swing like a three or four pound golf club. And I got to the point when I was 16, I could hit that like 280. And that's when I was just like really bombing the ball. And like, now I hit it, you know, maybe a little shorter and I don't train as much as I did because I'm coaching a ton. But I think that's what Bryson did if, just at the highest he, level. He increased his red line capacity, right? And if, exactly. you, if you can pump your red line capacity up, you yeah. can cruise at a higher RPM and not be in red line, right? And so exactly. that's that's all he did. Um, yeah. But it's it again. It's nice to just see him not looking so chubby and and out there ripping the ball and and yeah. having his finesse game. But so, yeah, exactly. Do, do you guys think that I mean that this is Bryson like he's going to be here to stay? This is because think... he's changed, or was it the course that kind of set up favorably with him? No, I think he's got a good little shot. From what I saw, I like him. I might bet on him to win the U.S. Open. <laughs> I would agree. Like what I what I what I saw that I really really liked is that the thing that Bryson does really really well in his game is that he hits the simplest shots so so well. Meaning that when he's like middle of the fairway stock wedge. He hits that shot so well because he doesn't have a lot of wrist hinge in his game. And he just really kind of sets impact, has the one length clubs, has one swing. 
and it really creates a consistent swing. I think where Bryson struggles a lot is when, say, he's short-sighted in a bunker yeah. or when yeah. he needs yeah. a little you, Where you can't just be like a video that. game swing and you got to exactly. have like a little feel and finesse. Yeah. Exactly. And so, I've like, never seen him on, hit a flop shot. I've never seen he, him hit a flop he shot. Won't, he, won't, he, won't rever- he won't try to do that. It's just not his game. He will not – you know how, like, you played with me. I'll, I'll hit, like, shots with a little bit more wrist hinge rehinge the club hit like a little flop off some tight lies he just won't do it he's just like i'm not gonna sacrifice that shot like i'm just not I ever mean, that's, gonna do that that's what's so cool not to get all existential on us but that's like what's so cool about golf right is you can go yeah. out there and play with a 80 year old dude and he's gonna play a lot different and he can still get around the course yeah probably beat a lot of people you know and and it ver- oh and, yeah like so I, I got you got to give him kudos for like sticking to his crazy ass little system. Um, totally. Uh, that's a great. <laughs> it was so, great. Wa- it it I mean, was great. It was great watching him. I, I have that, to say, just seeing him being being able to uh, be relevant again and seeing him out, you know, on TV because it seems like the last four or five majors that we've seen, he hasn't been featured really at all i Ever mean i he... still he could be playing like this and i'm still gonna bet against him in the masters right? oh 100 uh, like yeah 100 like, like that but but uh yeah i agree i agree it's good to see him back in the swing of things he was in correct me if i'm wrong he was kind of in it uh the last big major champion he was he was in it on sunday when john rom won the u.s open at tory pines right and then he found himself into some some shit, I, I think, and and kind of biff that tournament a little bit, dude. I don't know. I think he had a go. You guys carry this conversation. I'm gonna look this up. Uh, I think yeah, he I, had an epic moment, epic meltdown. Tory Pines. No, I don't. I, I don't. Re- I don't remember. But that was the years that he was that he was trying all that. Right? It was. Didn't he win? He won the next year. I thought, or was it the year before that he had won the U.S. He won the year at, before. He bombed and gouged in the yeah. in the in the fall at Wingfoot. At Wingfoot. Um. All right. Let's see here. Yeah, I thought the course this week looked great. Oak Hill was yeah. incre- was incredible. Like it, it seemed like every hole was something you could remember. I mean, dude, the, it was the one thing that stood out was the, uh, all the square greens that allowed for the pin placements to be, you know, tucked away in the corners. And I mean, it, it seems kind of simplistic to have a square green like that. So you have like actual corners and it's not like a McKenzie style where it's, you know, more on the circular oval or that type of shape. But, uh, but, but just seeing that with everything tucked in to certain areas. So guys were hitting such different shots into the same holes each, each, uh, each day was something that I thought was really entertaining it's a classic course, um, not super penal if you if you spray it a little bit, but I mean around the greens it was extremely tough. It was fun to watch. I just thought it really, really was a great major championship course, and it was yeah. it really, really highlighted the right champion. And if you look at Brooks's game, he drove the ball really, really well. He hit his irons really, really well, and he putted really, really well too. You know, it, mm-hmm. he just like played better than anyone else that I saw. And I know it's easy to say that as he won, but you look at the way that he hits the golf ball and he just, like you said, he doesn't curve it a ton. You know what I mean? Like right. he just aims and hits it where he's looking and then has like a really, really solid, well-practiced putting stroke that is really repetitive. And I think he really, really understands what he's doing and set up and just has a really good free flowing swing from there. And under pressure, he's really confident that he's going to hit the ball where he's looking. I think he's a completely underrated putter. And you look at the majors that he's won. Totally. And in it's in the in the times that he's on, it's it's not quite Spethian levels, but it's so it, it, you're not going to get the hero putts really. But it's like okay, within twenty feet, he could make it. And it's like yeah, you almost totally. count on him to make it. Totally. And I think one of the things like from a coach perspective is he has that little index finger down the grip of the putter. Yeah. And if you look at one of the things that Scheffler struggles with from time to time, and he doesn't struggle with much as anything, 
And I would say this year it's just been a little bit of his putting. And I was overhearing, yeah, yeah, I was just overhearing, yeah, someone on the golf channel who I like, Frank Novolo, and he was just talking how he just thinks he adds just a little bit of loft sometimes through impact, and that just adds just a slight little miss hit. And if you look at the way that Kepka, you know, he grips the putter when he puts that lead finger on a pressure point on the shaft. I think what that does is that supplies almost him hitting with not a huge forward press, but definitely with his hands not ever flipping backwards or adding loft at all through impact. And I think that little pressure point where he puts there, he has the putter just pretty, you know, flat, maybe even a little bit heel off the ground and his hands just very in a good spot. And that pressure point keeps him from flipping it. And I think under pressure, that makes him really, really good with his speed control. What do you guys think that uh, – uh, how many majors do you think that he can win if he stays healthy? Is he here to stay? I mean, it certainly looks it with how – I'm going do- I'm going eight and eight, like I said earlier, or eight total, four and four. Four and four? Like four he PGAs, four U.S. Opens. He says he says his he says his goal is ten, and with the fact that he he almost won or he was in contention in 2019 when Tiger won when Tiger won the Masters he was you know in contention this year for the Masters, and now he's won another PGA Championship. I wonder, I wonder if he can reach that goal of ten. What do you think? That's tough. For the record, Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah. Uh, Tory Pines U.S. Open went into the back nine with a lead, a two, I think a one or two shot lead. He posted a forty-four on the back nine at Tory Pines. Oh, Remember that his foot his foot slipped. He yeah. went like double, or he went like bogey double, and then his foot slipped. And, I remember uh, the he, foot slip. Aside from Louie hitting into that that pile of shit uh, on like the seventeenth or eighteenth. Oh the, yeah, I remember ravine, that. Bryson, he melted down before that. He was Louis' biggest supporter before he posted that ball. <laughs> uh, Brooks, I'm going to say if Brooks can make it to eight, that's that's 10 seems like a lot. Um, it does. But yeah, BK, I, don't BK, he, I don't know if he can get to 10. 10 seems like a stretch just because of his health and right. with his knee and stuff and how hard he swings at it. Right. And also, too, it's like, you know, he's won five already. And, you know, like during this stuff, you know, with like LeBron and stuff, thinking that. He may possibly retire. I think there comes a point where, you know, you you reach reality and you go, holy crap, I have seven majors. That's pretty good. And I'm 42. You know, it's like got to keep beating up your body. And there's even more younger, faster players. That's the cool thing about golf, I think, is that, you know, he'll be playing hopefully until, you know, he's in his mid 40s, 50. And they'll be younger, faster Brooks Kepkas than he is right now coming up that'll be pushing him. So it'll be a really interesting time in golf with the speed and just the accuracy and just that type of player being around being older and seeing what the younger players will be like. Yeah. I think that a lot hinges on his health. Um, I do think though, that these, the way that the, the U S opens and the PJ championships kind of suit his game. I think he's going to be in contention for those. If he stays healthy, I think if he can click off of a, a master's, that he might have a chance of getting to his goal of 10. But, um, you know, I, I do think he might win a Masters. 10 is a lot. I do like the number eight. He's at five now. Four yeah, and four. That's three. That's three. That's three more. <laughs> um, you know, that's, I, I think he can do it. And I'm happy for him. You know, I know he's he, got, he caught a lot of flack from – uh, moving to live, we all watched the the full swing documentary and saw him at his lowest of lows. You see a champion like that, and I even called him out on it, you know, saying that it, it was a bit of a bitch move to leave to go to live because you didn't know if you were ever going to win again. And to see him climb the mountaintop again, you know, that's a good story and much respect for someone we've because been, that is not easy. We've been avid BK BK supporters on this we have. show. Uh, we have. And and we definitely yeah. did. I think that's the coolest part is seeing how vulnerable this guy was. Uh, yep, agreed. On, on, I mean, granted, it was last year. So this year in February, when that fucking show came out, his mindset was com- clearly totally different, right? Right, like, right, right. It's cool to see. Clearly. If you ever watch The Last Dance, um, it reminds me a lot of The Last Dance. And like that was what was so cool about The Last Dance for me probably for both you guys who are all mm-hmm. around the same age is we remember Jordan as like this 
crazy undefeatable figure right but like to see the and i don't i was a year old two years old mm -hmm. like in his early career but to see him so vulnerable in those like first handful of episodes and like you know getting his ass whooped by the pistons and stuff like mm -hmm. and then to see then to know like the true champion like it's these things happen these things happen to all the great ones right, right. uh and i think I think Brooksy's I, dude. I don't, there's no reason to believe that he's not going to click off some more, some more titles. Not at all. I think, not I at think, all. He's he's too talented. He's too talented. And he's such a good driver of the golf ball. I just believe that he'll get at least one or two more minimum, you know, minimum. And I just see him being a good pressure putter and not being scared of the moment. Obviously, so I, I see him at least getting one or two more minimum. Hell yeah. Uh, dude, yeah, I totally agree. All things on, on, on Brooks there. Um, I do want to talk about his other competitors here that kind of had a chance there at the end. It was actually a really entertaining Sunday until about hole 16. Super. Yeah, yep. it was really good. Um, just to touch on, on Scotty real quick before I get into the other guy I want to talk about. Scotty Scheffler is just always there. We call him the tree. He's, all, he's always there. I love, I, he, he, he struggles a little bit. It's his short putting. Like we talked about earlier, Dylan. Um, yep. and once he kind of get, once he gets that figured out, he's just going to be right there again. I think we're really blessed to have these guys that we have at the top of, uh, uh of, of the, you know, not necessarily world golf rankings, but at the top of the game, you know, Brooks is now 13. He went from 44th to 13th overall, um, wow. And he and he was like a hundred and something when the Masters. <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to say he was way, wow. way. So uh, I just want to say we, we're really fortunate right now. We got some of these heavy hitters at the top. We got Scotty Scheffler, John Rom. I'm going to put Brooks Kepka up there, um, and I'm I'm going to throw this other guy up there. This this is his third time that he's been in like the final group. You got it, Victor. Vicky Ho, Vicky Ho, dude. Vic, Victor Hovland. He unfortunately had that double bogey on 16, which pretty much sealed his fate because Brooks went ahead and, and birdied it. So it was a three-shot yeah. swing. Um, and he's in that, that same bunker on 16, that Corey Connors. They just, they, for whatever reason, the lip on that thing is higher than what it looks like. And two guys in the running there suffered the same fate. But I'm watching Victor Hovland, and everyone knows he's great tee to green. Um but what I'm seeing in the last two, last three majors, I'm seeing a guy who knows how to hit out of bunkers. I'm so much a, better. I'm seeing a guy so who knows how to hit how to hit these little short shots that we used to make fun of him for, you know, a year less than a year ago. Dude, it was just last year that he was in the bottom percentile for right. uh, strokes gained around the green. So it's kudos to him for like that shot on 16 is not a bad bunk. Like that's just you know terribly unfortunate and golf yeah. on a hard ass course right it's yep. not like a lack of his uh bunker game has improved his game around the green is improved and it's just with his ball strike in a matter of time before this guy comes in and wins a major 100 percent. i just wanted to make sure to give him his kudos and you know dylan maybe you can speak on what you see in his game that makes him so successful yeah i think you know Looking at Hovland's swing, one of the things that makes him so successful is two highlighted points that I work on a lot with players is their face-to-path relationship and their wrist angles. And if you look at Hovland's golf swing, he goes a little bit over the top, but he understands what he's doing because his club face stays really, really closed. And then he really rotates and opens his body from there to match up what he's doing to hit that little fade. And if you look at Hovland's golf swing, and if you put someone who goes over the top right next to them that shoots way higher, and obviously isn't a major champion, their club face position is in a way different position, almost at the start, the takeaway, the top position, the transition point. So you can look at Hovland if you're someone that, you know, wants to hit a little bit of a fade. I think he's such a great example because he doesn't really hit an open faced fade. He hits a really, really square face the path fade that's a really really pro model fade to hit i think that when we watch him too you see a lot of that in in rom morikawa mm -hmm. dj these are mm -hmm. guys at the top of the game uh and just seeing that type of move you start to recognize it so he's definitely a great ball striker with that that action too uh 
I'm, I mean, it's only, he's, he's probably the, the captain of the new president of the matter of time of the matter of time club, dude. He's the new, he's, he's the president. Just seeing him, just seeing him play these last three majors and he's constantly there. It's great. Um, he's taken probably a year and a half longer than I thought that he would to win one, but you can see that you can see the incremental improvements in his game on, uh, on that note. That's what's great about Brooksy winning this too, as Brooksy guys is like, he didn't just fumble his way into this, right? He had yeah. Hovland playing with him the whole time oh, on yeah. Sunday. Scotty chef started breathing what he went four or five under on Sunday after his abysmal round Saturday. So Scheffler was coming up on the rear. Um, and so he, he, you know, he went out there and took the, took the title as we expect him to do. Like we thought he was going to do on the masters. And, that's 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 what that's what champs do baby <laughs> yeah no totally it didn't fall to him he went out and won it too um i think that'd be a good time to bring up the other story the arguably the second biggest story in all of in all of the tournament was mike block seeing you know seeing him play i know that you're a, a coach too dylan you brought him up earlier and i know you have some yeah. um, interactions with him know him a little bit uh, just, I guess, speak a, a little bit of what you, what was going through your mind when, I mean, he hits an ace on 15 and then gets that up and down to, to lock in the top 15 for another appearance next year at the PGA. Yeah. I mean, I think the people that, what people don't know about Michael Block that they're finding out now, obviously, is that I think the dude is a seven time SCGA player, PGA player of the year. Like, the dude is an absolute legend in Southern California. Like, this dude isn't just, like, coming out of nowhere. Like, he is a head golf pro, and he has made the sacrifice to, you know, have a steady paycheck and, and do that, which is just so admirable. And, you know, it's hard to do when you're you're having those dreams of being a, a pro golfer. And, you know, to see him have that steady job and to see him – maintain a game that is high level enough to compete at that level is just so so impressive and and he's also just a great dude and i i've known him through people i haven't really met him in person but i had a really great opportunity to play golf with albert pujols a couple of times and he's a really good friend of uh, my friend jose viscaino who's a student of mine and we played golf together a couple of times and albert is actually really good friends with michael and two years ago, he was telling me about Michael Block and how he is just about starting to play some really, really good golf. And Albert was just like sitting in my car with me. We we're about to go play Harding. We're teeing off at like in the dark. And he's just like, yeah, man, this guy, Michael Block, watch out, Dylan. He's going to start playing some really good golf. I've been helping him a little bit with his mental game and just like getting him to understand like different parts of how to be a mentally successful player at the highest level of sports and then boom here you go so it was just a really really cool story the dude's a great guy has a you know good family and is a hard-working professional at his club and and it's really cool to see someone succeed that you know loves the game of golf so much like him yeah it was easy for uh everybody to kind of you know, relate to him like him it's a great story but his game definitely didn't seem like it came out of nowhere like you watched no, him I mean, play it, he, he played great all week you the, know the dude yeah. has shot the, the dude has shot 58 before <laughs> yeah i mean to get top 15 uh the ace was just you know that's what dude, that's the, what that's what locked it in uh the ace the, was incredible that just was so, that thing just like, right I mean, on in uh, did you guys see the, the offer he got for the club 50 grand, right? Yeah, someone offered him 50 grand for the club. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. He's like, yeah. <laughs> I've made that much playing in section events all year by a lot. <laughs> yeah, so he, cool. he he said that uh, the only uh, the only request was he had to deliver it in person or hand it to the guy <laughs> in person. So uh, much love to Michael Block. Yeah, what a, uh, what, uh, what, a, what a story. Great, great story. And I think it's so cool that all these tournaments have stepped up to give him a sponsor's exemption and Right. You know, he's a, he's a great, great story for, yeah. for golf coaches all around the world. And, and, it, and it sheds a lot of light, I think, on our profession and, you know, how we, we really love what we do. And, you know, we're not in this for money. We're not in this for, you know, fame. I'm just, you know, I've always stated that my reason to be a golf coach is because I want people in San Francisco and the Bay Area to play their best golf, you know, and I, and I, I'm confident that 
I can help them to do that. And I just love the game and, and what it teaches people. And so it's, it's great to see someone else that has those same yeah. thoughts play so well. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. I, I mean, it, it's pretty great. And I, I love how the majors, except for the masters for the majors, there's a chance that, you know, there's stories like this. You look at the U S open, you can qualify and be the low yeah. amateur. You can, oh, yeah. uh, for the, for the, the, the British open, same thing. And then you have the PGA where, yeah, they are professionals, but like, you know, yeah, they're regular teaching professionals. They're, yeah. You know, it's different. They're not pro pros. They're exactly. How about, uh, how about Sergio shooting back to back sixes and sectional qualifying to get in? Yeah. To He's get in. in. He puts up a fight that's going to be fun to see him fire it up, <laughs> promote live and everything. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know who needs to call Mike Block is Greg Norman. Yeah, dude, because <laughs> he's going to look, look, what, look what's right? going to happen to him. He's going to go from hundreds of thousands of people watching him at the PGA Championship to hundreds of people watching him at the <laughs> Charles Schwab this week in Dallas. Yeah, I, I know I'm right? watching I, that I, shit. I, I know, right? It's going to take to the weekend. <laughs> I know oh, that's inter- it's interesting how it lives <laughs> out there now and it can change people's lives like that. And it's an interesting debate. You know, what would you do if you had that opportunity? I'm not saying I'd do one or the other. And, you know, if you have a family and dude, you know, I think with the last the lesson T for years, fuck, I'd take that money. Hell yeah. What the, la- what the last majors have shown us, these guys are all boys and it's like, exactly. Everything's so overblown. It's like, dude, it doesn't matter to, Brooks, Rory, you know, who no, DJ, right. who, what tour they're on. It's just, it, and that's what I kind of thought would happen. And it's cool. It creates competition. If you want to watch live, watch live, watch some family yep. feud before and after. If you don't <laughs> like, <laughs> don't I watch I start, PGA. I started, I, started, yeah, I started watching it the other day and it's pretty cool. I like, I, I don't mind watching Dude. it, but you know, I definitely do like the PGA tour. I'm just, you know, yeah. it takes it's going to take, I think, another year or two for this to just really sink in and have it be, you know, world ranking points and to just have it evolve a little bit more. And, you know, then it's just like anything. It's just like when the, the Trans-America building went in, people hated it in San Francisco. Now it's an iconic building. You know what I mean? Same so, as Salesforce. Motherfuckers. Too. Motherfuckers. Yeah. Haters. <laughs> How do you not want a pyramid? Haters. Haters. <laughs> awesome, guys. Um, Dylan. Thank you so much for you. joining us all day. This was great. Love hearing your perspective. Yeah, hell things. yeah. It was awesome. I mean, that was, thank that you was guys. You know, gr- thank you really guys. informative. Um, where can our listeners and golfers find you? Dylan Smith Golf on Instagram at Dylan Smith Golf, D Y L A N S M I T H, and the word golf. You will find all of my lessons there. You can book a lesson straight there. You can click a button, instantly book a lesson direct message me you can email me text me right from that page it's super easy you can see all my lessons tips videos i put up every day and and follow along and you know let's all get better together awesome hell yeah boys have a great rest of your week and until next time later go go low that does it for this episode of the sandy pars podcast we want to thank you all for joining us and if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcast content. Join us next time for more in-depth golf discussions. Lastly, be sure to follow us on Instagram at SandyParsGolf and visit our website, SandyPars.com, for our full library of podcasts and digital golf content like course reviews, reading guides, and more. Special thanks to our producer, Ryan Thiessen, and until next time, hit him straight.